Dennis, we're going to talk about some of the big questions mm. that people might ask about mm. complementary mm. medicine. Mm. So things like um, what makes modern conventional medicine still a little bit sceptical yes. about herbal yes. medicine? Yes. Uh, what about alternative medicines? Mm. Are they becoming too popular, mm. maybe overused? Mm. And what are some of the major threats to herbal and complementary medicine? Very good questions, Jane. You're challenging me today, but I look forward to getting into these because they will uh, tell listeners a lot of things that they need to know about why people are, in fact, using complementary medicine today. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart and... Uh, Looking at the big questions mm. today, Dennis. We are indeed. I'm uh, very happy to look at some of these big questions with you, Jane. <laughs> well, let's start off with scepticism. Yeah. Um, why do you think yeah. conventional medicine yeah. is, yeah. in fact, sceptical well, still? There, there is still a lot of scepticism in, in the mainstream about a modern complementary medicine, um, herbal medicine. I know this because uh, so many of my patients that I see, uh, when I ask them if they have discussed uh, their intention to access complementary medicine, um, many of them would say, oh, no, my, my doctor doesn't want to talk about it or he's not interested in it or I'm not really that happy to discuss it with him, which implies that uh, there is still a latent uh, scepticism in, in society about the, um, the flourishing uh, complementary system that's out there now which people are accessing uh, very, very significantly. Look, I can understand it uh, t to a degree, but um, a lot of it, I think, comes from a lack of awareness on the part of many um, general practitioners in particular, who are my best supporters, by the way. Uh, I have taught many uh, general practitioners over the years in nearly all states of the Commonwealth, and um, I have great regard for them, as you well know. But I think that many of them still have the understanding or the thinking that uh, herbal medicine in particular, particular is an unproven system, that there is no science behind it. But uh, that's not true, Dennis? It's not true. Look, I, I challenge that. Uh, one could have said that about the way in which herbal medicine was practised, say, 40, 50 years ago. Maybe the older practitioners, skilled as they may have been, uh, were not well skilled in, in the sciences, uh, many of them have very big practices, by the way, but we're not uh, up to speed, in my opinion, with the sciences. All that has changed. In fact, I, uh, I had an interesting situation as a younger man. I attended a meeting at Macquarie University uh, of members of what was called the Web Committee. And this was a group set up by the Commonwealth Government to look at the, uh, the, the rationale or the need to register or recognise practitioners of natural medicine. And it was a very interesting meeting in as much that a handful of us representing the National Herbalist Association of Australia um, went to the meeting and, and suddenly we found ourselves completely outgunned. The men that we were, men and women that we were dealing with, we suddenly realised, knew more about aspects of herbal medicine than we did. And something happened as a result of that. What happened was I determined that uh, from that point onwards, we would introduce in all uh, curriculum, all programs associated with the teaching of herbal medicine, core subjects in pharmacology, pharmacognosy and phytochemistry. And over that 40 or so years, probably a bit more than that now, I was a very, very young man in those days, over that period of time, 
our understanding of herbal medicine, our teaching of herbal medicine has become incredibly rooted in a scientific explanation as to how many herbs work. And phytochemistry is something that is well documented now, which allows any practitioner of any modality to look at very many herbs and see crucial chemicals within those herbs that can at least go some way along the way to explaining how that particular herb works in that particular condition. So scepticism may exist, but really the scepticism, in my opinion, is increasingly unfounded because the main objection, i.e. that there is no science, uh, there's nothing to uh, support the, the modern renaissance in herbal medicine, I tend to think that's largely based on a lack of awareness of what has actually happened in the teaching and practice of herbal medicine since about the mid-60s. Health Naturally on 2NURFM, and John has joined us from Madawi. John, your question is about vitamin C, zinc and iron supplements. Along, uh, and how they affect the B12. Uh-huh. Hello, John. Hello. Oh, hi. My, my wife currently gets B12 shots. Yes. And we are at the chemist the other day, and the chemist mentioned the fact that if we take zinc, B12, uh, zinc, vitamin C, and iron, it helps to all bind with the B12 and, and helps to reduce the amount of tiredness she suffers from. Well, I wouldn't have too many objections to that. Obviously, there is a fairly sophisticated explanation associated with this, but um, I don't think there would be any uh, any dispute that vitamin C and zinc are the two most popularly prescribed uh, supplements that the population uses for multiple things, generally speaking, uh, to improve resistance, particularly to viral and and other forms of infection. And I have spoken about these two supplements on this program before, and I would say now, uh, to support what the pharmacist has said and and probably talk to you about, that particularly in this climate of uh, viral infections presently, I would tend to think that the supplementation of our diets with vitamin C and zinc is more necessary than ever. Uh, And I um, take those supplements myself, as does my dear wife. And in everything that I've read about immunity, in our literature in particular, there is an emphasis on ensuring that there are optimum levels of these two vitamins. Now, iron also is a very important supplement And I note in practice today, more and more people presenting with what I would call uh, borderline iron levels, uh, whether this is associated with the way in which many people perhaps are going too far away from animal protein and uh, working with diets that are perhaps underrepresented with with iron. But I've noticed in in recent times that uh, patients present, uh, their blood tests tend to indicate it, and their lack of energy, fatigue also tends to be associated with it. So I think what your pharmacist is saying is that this is a trio. You put the, the vitamin C and the zinc in combination with iron, and iron's a carrier. It will ensure that these supplements are targeted for the particular tissues that most require their needs. So I think the pharmacist has given you good um, advice. You've spoken to Gavin, have you? No, actually okay. it was... A pharmacist down at Raymond Oh, okay. Yep, yep. I just, just that I know uh, Gavin, the pharmacist at Madawi, is an excellent uh, 
Oh, he's a lovely person. Yeah, a good man. Give him my regards. But look, I, I would think that was good advice that the pharmacist gave you, and I salute the pharmacists for the way in which, in modern times, they're carrying out a significant over-the-counter uh, procedure in advising people with sensible uh, health advice, ways of improving their health in ways that will not conflict with what their medical practitioner is trying to do for them. Fair enough. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, John. And thank you for your call, John. One of the things that needs to be uh, perhaps um, emphasised there, Jane, is that I see those uh, two vitamins, or those two supplements, uh, vitamin C and zinc, as being ideal companions uh, for herbal supplements that have an immunological benefit. Listeners would have heard me talk about the famous um, Astragalus 8 formula that, in my opinion, is, is, a, is the primary uh, supplement today in the herbal world uh, that has the capacity to support the immune system. Most people would be, I think, who are working with Astragalus 8 for immunity, also using vitamin C and zinc. I think that's a very, very sound combination. And I'm worried a little bit today that we may be perhaps a little bit negligent about looking after our own immunity in the face of uh, the good work that vaccination procedures uh, are offering us. Uh, And I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but my view is that we must also take some responsibility. And from a nutritional perspective, I think uh, vitamin C and zinc and astragalus 8 is a lovely combination doing something for ourselves to try to lift our game, particularly if we're getting on a bit, to offset uh, the, the remote possibility of the of any virus assaulting us. Immunity, mm. of course, mm. if we can, and we can do something about okay. our own immunity. Uh, I think that's the point that, that uh, I, I'm a little bit worried that with so much emphasis on, on, on the vaccination procedure, and let me emphasise, I'm not opposed to that at all, that we might be forgetting that it is one technique, very, very useful, there's no doubt about that, but we as individuals must also play a role in looking at our lifestyle, our diet, and also ways and means of lifting our game with the modern knowledge that we have of natural medicine supplementation. This is Health Naturally on 2NURFM, and we are looking at a range of interesting questions. We always questions. do, Jane. We always do. This program tends to go or take its own uh, momentum, and that's okay. And this is Health Naturally on 2NURFM. Uh, we have a question from Claire, who's rung in from Raymond Terrace. Claire, your question for Dennis is about Meniere's disease. That's right, yes. Hello, Dennis. Hello, Claire. How are you? Well, thank you. I heard that there was a discussion about many years, a week or two ago, and I yes. missed it. I was away at the time, so I'd like to ask you some questions about it. You're very welcome to ask. Go ahead. I've suffered with many years for about 26 years yes. or more. Yes. I take medication, yes. uh, heastine, uh twice a day. Um, been taking that for years. Yes. Um, it's a medicine that was given to me originally to treat the amenias when I had an attack. Yes. But then I was advised that it could uh, possibly prevent amenias attacks. So oh. I've been on them for years, yes. um, and I still get the occasional amenias attack. Last year I had 
more than usual. Yes. Um, and when you experience your many years, Claire, what major symptoms do you experience? Well, absolutely nauseous, vomiting, yes. can't open my eyes, spinning, dizziness. Absolutely. Oh, and this, this, they're the symptoms that I was uh, discussing, I'm sure, a week or so ago with, with a listener. And whilst complementary medicine hasn't got the answer to many years' disease, and what I'm going to say can only be seen, if you like, as reinforcing what your good GP may have prescribed. But last week I said that in my experience there's frequently some relief from some of the symptoms of many years when the following two herbs are taken regularly, and these herbs are very, uh, very, very safe. And yes. I emphasise that very safe. Mm-hmm. One of the herbs, one of the herbs I mentioned, was a was a favourite of mine, and it's, a, it's an English herb, and it's not a popular herb. Let me just say, as an aside, that some of the most effective herbs for medical conditions are not popular herbs, and as much as they're they're not good over the counter products because they're not popular. But wood betony uh, is well documented in our literature as a remedy that has potential to deal with the vertigo, the dizziness associated with many years. And when, and when taken ongoingly, it's a low-dose herb, when taken ongoingly, it may well be a contributor to lessening that aspect of your symptomatology. Wood betony, an English herb, may... I saw Yeah, wood, W-O-O-D, wood yes. betony, B-E-T-O-N-Y. Uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, an English herbalist, uh, popularly known as, as Willie Smith, he lived in the north of England um, and uh, wrote a lovely little book called Wonders in Weeds. It might sound <laughs> it might sound rather a, a non-medical, but in fact, it's a very very useful text dealing with uh, some of these simple herbs uh, that have a very significant ability as complementary medicine to treat fairly serious conditions. Willie Smith was uh, a brilliant herbalist. He belonged to the National Institute of Medical Herbalists in the UK. He wrote, uh, he wrote that book and many others, practised in the north of England. And I learnt a lot on Wood Betney from his book and the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. The other, the, uh, the, the other herb that I mentioned with reference to, to nausea um, is a herb, again, that's not popular. When I say it's not popular... Again, it would be unlikely to be found in a health food store or a pharmacy. But the herb black whorehound. Black okay. whorehound. Now, there is a white whorehound, and white Ooh. whorehound is popularly used, still popularly used, as a very, very significant antitusive or anti-cough medicine, and quite remarkable. It functions in that way. Very popularly used by early settlers, and still popularly used in, in parts of the countryside today, white whorehound, but black whorehound. Black whorehound has always been in my kit to treat uh, conditions that uh, manifest themselves in, in nausea and vomiting. For instance, black whorehound would frequently be used in my prescribing to treat the early symptoms of pregnancy, the morning sickness that some women experience. And, and it's a very safe herb, again, um, I know some... People might raise their eyebrows when we talk about uh, using medication to ease some of the early symptoms of, of, um, of pregnancy, but this particular herb has been well documented, well defined, and well written up 
by England's most important herbalist, Simon Mills, in his book, The Dictionary of Modern Herbalism, a lovely book written by a very competent man, and the safety of black whorehound comes through in the literature. I would see those two herbs taken chronically, that is used ongoingly, worthwhile being given a try. Give them a try. Now, always with something like this, in as much that your good doctor has you on medication, I think the courteous and ethical thing to do is to say that you've heard about these two herbs, you've been told they're very safe, and uh, would it be okay for you to try? I could see no reason why they would not be uh, useful, and there should be no objection to your trying them because they're so safe. All right, Dennis, that sounds great. I'm sort of looking for something to... Uh, even ease the mild attack. Yes. Yeah. Well, I might just be feeling well, a little vertigo. Well, keep, keep, keep in mind, Claire, that if you were to uh, try these two herbs, they uh, just don't work episodically. They are herbs that should be taken ongoingly for a while to see if, in fact, they can impact uh, yes. and lessen the episodes. Give them, say, a couple of months' trial. Uh, if they're not doing anything by then, well, they're not going to help you. But um, they're they're safe, they're economical, and uh, in my opinion, I can't see any way in which they would clash with what you're presently taking. And then, Dennis, if I find that they are helping me, yes, yes. can I continue taking them? Like, yes. If, 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 you, if you find that they are helping you, the first thing to do is to communicate that to your medical practitioner. And then there would be no reason that I can see why you should not uh, maintain them because they are very safe, very simple, and can be prescribed uh, uh, to you in a liquid combination by a medical herbalist or even by a compounding pharmacist that might have those herbs. Um, I'm sure sure that any reasonable uh, practitioner would say, look, if you're getting a good result from those, uh, stay with it. Sure. Uh-huh. Now we're not, we're not guaranteeing anything. All I'm no. saying is, all I'm saying is, I know these two herbs well, and uh, and many people have been helped by them for these symptoms. And remember, we're treating symptoms. We're not actually saying we're going to cure the disease. No, I realise that, Dennis. Mm. Yes. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to trying something like okay. that. Well, let us know how you go, Claire. And thanks very much for your call, Claire. All the very best with that. It is Health Naturally on 2NURFM. And, Dennis, some of the big questions. Mm. We've talked about complementary medicine. You often do. But you've mentioned the term alternative medicines in this respect. Mm. Uh, Are they perhaps being overused? Well, you, you have heard me say frequently, Jane, and I suspect listeners also, may have heard me say that um, that there's a difference. In the early days of the herbal renaissance, uh, we used to talk about alternative medicines, and that was largely a, a reaction against the, uh, the mainstream dominance, if you like. It's a term, however, that is not that popularly used today because you have heard me say that I don't believe that there is any one system that on its own is able to cope with all the conditions of the human being and that there are many systems of medicine, each complementing each other. Now, in our society, our modern Western medical system is the backbone of health care, and rightly so. 
and rightly so. And anyone that uh, stupidly criticises uh, mainstream medicine uh, is, in my opinion, on, along the wrong track. So very rarely do I use the term alternative medicine. I see what I teach and what I practice as complementary medicine on most occasions. That is, uh, working with uh, the mainstream wherever possible, uh, filling the gaps, uh, or treating conditions that are more appropriate for this system of medicine, chronic diseases, uh, civilizational diseases, societal diseases, uh, diseases that, if you like, defy still uh, the modern application of, uh, of modern medication. Uh, there are many conditions that are still there which are not resolved by the mainstream, which yield, in many cases, love, in a lovely way, to the application of complementary medicine. However, I will say, I will say that occasionally, occasionally, there are medications in our system which I would consider to be alternative, not complementary to. For instance, I'll give you an example of this, Jane. Yes. If, if, if a, a patient presents uh, to me with, say, a very nasty uh, varicose ulcer, now, anyone that's seen a varicose ulcer knows that they're a nasty condition, and unfortunately, they're very difficult to treat and resolve. And doctors and community nurses do a great job in, in keeping infection, infection at bay and dressing the wounds, but I've seen many of them that still defy the healing process. This is where I believe we can see alternative medicines, that is, Medicines that are alternative to that which is presently being used. For instance, I would see, I would see the modern application of, of honey ointment as being, if you like, an alternative medicine, particularly addressing a condition for which it's very appropriate and not just complementary. But look, that's, a, that's a, a bit of an example that is a unique example. Nine times out of ten, what uh, people like ourselves do is best seen as complementing what the mainstream does. And thank God for the mainstream, but thank God also that in this country um, we are permitted to access traditional medicine. Where would we be, for instance, without our acupuncturists, Chinese medical practitioners, our Ayurvedic medical practitioners, our naturopaths, our Western herbal medicine practitioners? We're blessed to live in a country like this where we can see all these systems, if you like, helping human beings. And it would be very arrogant therapist of any modality to say that, um, you know, they have the answer and the only answer to everything. That would be nonsensical. And mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. the distinction. It's the very way much. you look at very that much. form of treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, look, uh, very late in the day, I'm very, very um, comfortable in uh, my interpretation of where what I do and others of my ilk, uh, where it fits into uh, modern health care and uh, as you know I had a lot to do in establishing the first degree course in herbal medicine at the Rimba campus of the University of Newcastle and uh, that was a good step along the way of bringing into uh, the tertiary system um, herbal medicine even though it was somewhat objected to uh, by some but the ball got rolling and uh, here we are. To a new RFM's Health Naturally. And so question number three mm. that we talked about early on in the program, uh, threats to herbal medicine mm. Mm. these days, mm. modern herbal medicine. Yeah, do, yeah, you, yeah. do you see some threats? Yeah, I do, I do. Yep. 
Uh, one of the major threats, I think, is the way in which uh, complementary medicine uh, is being used at a time when mainstream medicine should be used. Now, what am I saying here? One of the great threats to the reputation of complementary medicine or natural medicine is where people think it can take the place of a mainstream approach in all diseases. Now, I talk here particularly, and I've seen this in my practice, of where uh, women, for instance, with, with breast cancer have chosen, if you like, to use herbal medicine or naturopathic medicine as a means of addressing that problem rather than go down the usually very successful modern pathway of treating that condition. I see that as being a, a huge threat, the way in which there is a naive, uh, misunderstood interpretation on the part of the ordinary consumer of complementary medicine that it can, in fact, do all things and can be used always in place of a medical approach. I see that as a threat, uh, and that might s sound strange coming from me, but that's why I emphasise always, uh, as you know on this program, that any condition always needs to be clarified, diagnosed, and primarily managed by our general practitioners. I see this naive ideological viewpoint uh, taken up with reference to natural medicine being used sometimes dangerously as being a threat to our reputation, to our professionalism. Now, that's pretty hard stuff to say, mm. but it needed to be said. It needed to be said. We live at a time of experimentation, but complementary medicine does a great job where it functions in the area where it does well, and that is supporting. And I suppose uh, m many conventional uh, mm. medicine practitioners yeah. may not be aware of some of the uh, applications for complementary medicine. I think this is a, a, another problem that uh, there is not enough awareness on the part, even of modern, younger-trained general practitioners. There's not a great deal of knowledge about the potential locked into aspects of complementary medicine. I would very much like to see, even at this university, something like herbal medicine done as an elective, uh, so that when a patient presents to the GP and says, I'm using this or using that, the GP has an understanding of it and knows the literature on which the reputation of the herb is based. Uh, that's going to become more and more necessary as more and more people access this system of medicine uh, in retreat, sometimes from the mainstream, uh, or in a misguided, naive uh, bypassing of it. But it's important, I emphasise, particularly to medical practitioners that might be listening to this program, you must become familiar with complementary medicine. There are enough references out there now, uh, useful texts written by medical people and pharmaceutical people that can look at herbs, look at their benefits, their indications, their side effects, that needs to be done. That's a, 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 that's a good question you ask, Jane. I see that as something that needs to be done. Of course, one other big threat that faces us, a huge threat, and that is the dwindling um, supplies of many of the herbs that we have depended on and still depend on. Uh, I, was, I was talking to a, a lady yesterday in practice who was seeing me about infertility, and I said the main herb that I've used for 40 years an American herb called false unicorn root. When I first started practice uh, many, many years ago, you could purchase that herb for about 
$80 a kilo and have it converted to a liquid extract. That same herb now, let me emphasize, that same herb now, if you can get it, would be selling between $800 and $1,000 a kilo. Oh, wow. The, yes, because a lot, of the, a lot of the herbs have become so well known, so utilized, that their benefits have led to their scarcity. That's a huge problem we face. Mm. Mm. And you've spoken about mm. that mm. previously. It hasn't fixed itself. Mm. Uh, Brad has rung in from Mayfield, Dennis. And uh, Brad, your question's about your knee and osteoarthritis in it. Yes, that's correct. Hello, Brad. Hi, how are you, Jen? Good, good. Tell me about yourself, Brad. Um, I've got osteoarthritis in the yes. right knee. Yes. And nothing seems to help. Okay. Um, you've obviously been to your GP and you've taken medication yeah, for all it. that. I've okay. had, uh, okay. what do you call it, uh, the injections? Yes, yes. Okay. And nothing works. Okay. Look... I would have to come out in defence of the uh, glucosamine and chondroitin emphasis, and you might say, "Look, I tried that, but it didn't work." Let me just no. uh, let me just say that glucosamine and its its companion substance, chondroitin, has very very sound literature to support uh, the application of it, particularly to for osteoarthritis. Not so much. Not so much. Uh, for inflammatory or rheumatoid arthritis. But for osteoarthritis, it's still, in my opinion, uh, one of the best documented natural remedies to address the condition. The, and if you haven't tried it, yeah. I, I would have to say, I would have to say, you must try it. It's one of the most readily available supplements. Okay. Uh, you can get it from your pharmacy. You, any pharmacy would stock various preparations of glucosamine and chondroitin. The the point, however, is there are two points that you need to take on board. And this also is well documented, what I'm going to say. It's unlikely using glucosamine and chondroitin uh, supplements, uh, it's unlikely that you will get a useful benefit in much less than about three months. Now, that's not to say that you're not going to get an indication of benefit, but right. the literature talks about a three-month period to be on the preparation in order to make an assessment. If, right. if, you're getting a, if you're getting a good result then, the result tends to be very significantly ongoing and there may well even be a reduction um, in the degenerative process associated with your osteo. So I'd give that a go. The other thing, however, is in your pharmacist would be well, or your health food store proprietor also because they would stock these things. Uh, they would give you preparations that are correctly dosed or correctly dosed. And uh, with this, uh, you must ask your pharmacist or your health food store to give you a preparation where the dosage coincides with the expected level that you're required to take. So depending upon what brand you're using and uh, how many tablets contain such and such an amount, you must get advice from your pharmacist or your health food store proprietor to make sure that you're getting the uh, amount that is required to give you the result. And thanks for your call, Brad. All the very best. And our last call from for today, I would say, is Cathy from Newcastle. And you've got a question about an oil that I don't think I've heard of, but you'd like to ask Dennis about it. Hello, Cathy. Hi, hi Dennis. Yeah, look, I'm sure you've heard of CBD. Yep, yeah, CBD. Yeah, yeah. Now, 
relating back to what you were talking about before, yes. I've had um, colon cancer for yes. quite a number of years. Yes. Um, I'm on currently and have been for the last eight years on chemotherapy. Yes. But I'm also taking a CBD oil, yes. free of THC, yes. and and um, flaxseed oil. So you're using, cannab- um, you're using cannabis oil and flaxseed oil? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, I'd just like to hear a, a, um, your comments on the cannabis oil. Um, okay. I've been taking it for a long time. Like I said, it's mm-hmm. THC-free. Um, so, and, and also, whether you would... I've, I've for a long time said that CBD by itself is not a drug. So, mm-hmm. And I don't believe they test that when they pull you over for uh, drug roadside testing. But um, anything that you can have to say on this to enlighten us all would be most welcome. <laughs> okay. Look, it's a, a controversial topic and I have to be cautious in what I say. Let me, let me just say I am well versed in the therapeutic properties of cannabis indica, which has long been used in medicine and is even defined in the older editions of the British Pharmaceutical Codex. And I have, I have come out in favour of saying that I am not opposed to a regulated, uh, medically prescribed and pharmaceutically dis- dispensed form of that herb for any condition for which it might be used. So I've come out very bluntly there and have, have put myself out there, but I em- emphasise again uh, legality, uh, medical prescribing and pharmaceutical dispensing because you would realise there is the potential here for abuse, the potential here for Ill- illegality. Now, um, the, the, the cannabis oil that you're talking about, I have numerous patients that say that they use it. Uh, some are importing it. Some are, are getting it or getting it from local suppliers. I'm not going to go into the debate about uh, where you get it from or where you don't get it from. I don't prescribe it myself. Um, I can honestly say, however, I can honestly say, however, that I have patients and have conversed with them over quite a number of years who claim that using a cannabis oil has improved their underlying condition. And I'll not elaborate on that. You can read into that what you want. Um, it's, it, it, are you, um, you've been using it for some time, um, uh, and I'll not ask where you got it or what that's got nothing to do with me, uh, but have, no. you, have you had any, um, how can I call it, confirmation by way of investigation, um, how your condition is going to say that uh, it's, it's worthwhile taking for you? Look, Dennis, the only thing that I can say, and I've talked to my oncologist yes, about this, yes. all, all of my, all of my um, medical assistants yes. are very well aware that I'm taking it. Yes, and I've, good, I've good. Taken, yeah, I've taken good. CBD for probably about, I don't know, six or seven years. Yes, good. Um, um, it, it, I didn't take it for pain relief. or The only reason that I took it, I think, in the first place was because um, somebody said to me, that um, uh, you know, it, it it can it can be beneficial to you. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing that the thing that worries me about it the most is, as as I alluded to before, I think um, people people have um, I believe the misunderstanding that CBD oil or cannabis oil in itself is a drug. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I can't see that. I can see that the THC component is. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were just to take a cannabis oil, um, yeah, well, your thoughts on that, please, okay. Dennis, as to well, whether, well, look, it's, whether well, it's... Anything, anything can become a drug. Uh, even a herb can become a drug. Some people right. talk about herbal drugs. Anything, uh-huh. and this is my opinion, anything that is giving you a therapeutic benefit and is affecting yep. your disease process beneficially, I would see as being a drug, whether it be olive oil in treating constipation or cannabis oil in helping your immunity or what other thing you're using it for. So that doesn't really worry me um, how you define it. Um, you can define it as a supplement, but it's a supplement that has potential therapeutic value. That's what people claim. Therefore, that supplement, in my opinion, is a natural drug. Oh, Dennis, we are running out of time, and oh, it's a such pity. a good topic. A good so topic, we yeah, should take mind. it up some other Sorry, time. Kathy. Thanks, Kathy, for that, <laughs> and uh, more on that later. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Two NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at twonurfm.com. <laughs>